Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast, the show where we will explore the endless possibilities of personal growth and self-improvement. Your host, John Perry, will guide you on a journey towards becoming the best version of yourself. Each week, he will do a deep dive into strategies, insights, and stories of remarkable individuals who have overcome obstacles and achieved greatness in their lives. Together, you and John will explore practical tips, actual advice, and inspiring ideas that can empower you to make positive change in your life. He will cover a wide range of topics, including productivity, mindset training, goal setting, health, and much more. So if you're ready to challenge yourself, break through barriers, and never settle for mediocrity, then you're in the right place. Get ready to ignite your inner drive and join John on his quest to help you never stop getting better. All right, welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast. Our guest today is the one and only Brian Kite. If you have followed me for any amount of time, you know that, you know, Brian Kite has been very instrumental in my life. Um, So we're going to dig in to some of the things that he has taught me over the last five or six years that he probably don't even know that he's taught me. Um, But this would be my first question, Brian. If there happens to be somebody listening that does not know who Brian Kite is, in three or four minutes, give me your your life in three or four minutes. Ooh, all right. Let's start with the easy one. Um, so, you know, I, I think what's relevant for for the listener, right, is is you know, I was a um, I was a I was a moderately talented, highly competitive, driven uh, young man and athlete. Football was my sport. Um, I certainly played a bunch of stuff, but football was the only love I ever had growing up. Um, and uh, I wasn't big or fast enough to to play big time college football. Um, 41 years old now. So, you know, we're talking back in, you know, we're talking back in, you know, uh, mid, you know, mid to late 90s. Right. Um, and then, uh, but I wanted to be in a place where football was as important to everybody else as it was to me. Uh, and growing up in California, there just weren't a lot of places that offered that. Um, you know, the California, uh, and it's still kind of that way. The California schools, football is, especially at the at the Division two and three level, it's it's, you know, it's like between the 80th and 100th coolest thing to do in Southern California. <laughs> Whereas, you know, in in Pennsylvania and Ohio and West Virginia and Texas, right? Like football is life. It is, it is blood. And that's me. That's who I am. That's who I was. So I went to Ohio. I played division three football, played safety. And while I was there, I was struck by why we train power clean and backpedal and cover two and three technique and uh, uh, you know, study king and queen and deuces and trips formations more than we study, train, practice, discipline, courage, trust, uh, um, empathy, collaboration, self-awareness. But coaches would always yell about it. And when we lost or struggled to perform, it was rarely because a guy couldn't power clean enough. I mean, Obviously, there are, you know, we're playing a game of football, right? If you are weak, you're gonna get hammered. But but I was a five foot nine, 170 pound safety. I wasn't, 
I wasn't dominating anybody physically head to head. I was strong for my size. Like I still look back, like, like I cleaned 320 at 175 pounds. I, you know, to this day, I still feel pretty damn good about that. But, but what good was it if I couldn't maintain composure on third and short with the game on the line? What good was it if I didn't perform my assignment with the technique and intensity required in collaboration with the other 10 guys on the field? Or what good was it if I couldn't align with a game plan that maybe didn't serve my personal preferences of how I like to play, but was necessary for our team? So that launched my career into, into leadership development, culture building, and behavior skills as it pertains directly to athletes. When I graduated college, uh, 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 you know, I have an entrepreneurial mind. I was, ironically enough, um, I was not a good college student, not because I wasn't capable, but because I did not apply discipline to my college studies. I applied discipline to all things football, but not to college. I didn't learn the value of non-athletic discipline until I got out of college. And from there, I tried to start a, a business coaching coaches and, you know, doing what I, what it is that I do now, I completely failed, um, zero clients, zero dollars, zero second meetings, you know, like I couldn't get, you know, people like you and your listeners to listen to a single thing that I had to say, because I was not good enough. Um, and I'm sure at 22 years old, there just wasn't a lot of people, weren't a lot of people interested in that from that age. So I worked in business for a decade um, because they had existing tracks and they did a lot of training and did budgets. And so, so there was simply more uh, uh, volume of opportunity in the business side. Worked in business for 10 years, took over a firm uh, uh, with, that I ran with my dad, uh, CEO of a company called Focus3. And uh, during that time, we started working with Ohio State football. And that launched, uh, that was our first sports client. And then from there, it was literally off to the races. Um, and it, only, it was a decade between when I started and when we started working with Ohio State. And, um, you know, so it's the, it's the overnight success story that took 10 years to happen, right? Um, and so now it's, you know, 10 years later, uh, plus, whoops. You're good. I don't know what that was. That was me. So it was that, you know, it was that it was it, it, it took a decade plus to happen, uh, but it eventually happened. Um, and then in that time, I started writing a, a newsletter called Daily Discipline, uh, just as my way of giving back to people who would would, you know, listen to a, a workshop or a keynote or something, you know, uh, that I would do. And they would say, man, I, if I could just keep this alive every day, I just could have a reminder every day. I just need that daily something. And I heard that so often. And frankly, John, I got frustrated um, at hearing it because they would say, what do I do? I'd say, well, how do you keep yourself alive? You wake up and you start doing the things required to stay alive, right? You breathe, you eat, you, 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 you move, you go to the bathroom. Like you don't question how to keep yourself alive. You do what's required. Um, and you go. And then there's different qualities within that. And I was like, and so when I would tell people the same thing with discipline, you do it. They're like, well, what else? I'm like, well, look, I, I, I can't do it for you. I can only tell you that. And so that's where I'm at now is, is, is I teach, um, you know, and, and where I think it's interesting for our, for, for our conversations, I'm going back to even kind of when you and I first met years ago, you know, what I'm, what I'm really leaning into and, and I, I would say discovering is that um, I don't just teach discipline. 
I, I teach competitive discipline. That's what I'm interested in. I teach competitive discipline, right? You know, you're in a competitive environment. Salespeople are in a competitive environment. Um, you don't just coach in a competitive environment. Like you are competitive for you. Like you have elements of yourself that have nothing to do with sports that you're like, ooh, no, I want to be better. And there's a competitive element in that. It's not discipline for the sake of following a rule. It's discipline to compete and thrive and excel. That's what I live for. That's what I do. And I do it through the lens of you know leadership and culture and the behavior and trying to plug competitive discipline into those arenas and help people maximize their capabilities and, and find fulfillment in that process. That's awesome. And, and most of the people that are probably listening to this understand I went to a USA football clinic in, I don't know, 17 ish, 16, 17, 18. You were sitting on stage with the general manager of the green Bay Packers. His name was Mark something and taking leadership mm -hmm. questions from the audience. And I'm sitting there, you know, as a high school football coach who is trying to do his best, who's, you know, trying to execute the drive block, the best, the down block, the, and I was absolutely amazed at the quality of the answers, you know, that you gave. So then I went to two sessions that you taught and then I went home and I listened to, I don't know how many focus three podcasts there were, but let's say there were 72. I went 72 days in a row listening to, they were about an hour a piece. Um, and then I actually did, a virtual course. We did one with our team. Like I went all in and I went all in because I needed something in my life to make me better. And yeah. E plus R equals O. Okay. And I'm not, I don't want to disrespect math teachers that might be listening. Okay. But X plus Y equals Z really did nothing for me. Like I just never have used that since, you know, 11th grade E plus R equals O gave me something that I could hang on to that could make my life better. It made my relationship with my wife better. It made me a better coach. It made everything that we do better. So, you know, I guess my first question is E plus R equals O because of who your dad is, you probably were raised in E plus R equals O like where did, when did that come about for you and what does that mean to you? E plus R equals O came about for me when I was a teenager, um, probably about 16 years old. Uh, and, you know, you work with enough 16 year olds, right? I, I, I processed it like a 16 year old does. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the great parts about E plus R equals O event plus response equals outcome is that, it works as a strategic tool, thinking ahead, right? To plan out what might work, what won't work, and the way we want it to work. But it also, coming back to me at 16, it's also wonderful as a reflective tool for why I didn't get the outcomes that I wanted. Why I wasn't feeling the way I wanted to feel, why I wasn't starting when I wanted to start, you know, my freshman year of college or whatever it was, or why certain outcomes would go the way they were. And so like all people, 
I learned E plus R equals O, you know, probably in equal parts as a teenager and then going through the phases and evolution of, you know, teenager and then off to college. And then I dropped out of college after my first semester and went and waited tables and bartended for a year in Los Angeles at 18, 19 years old. You can imagine what that life was like living on the beach and waiting tables in LA. Right. And then went back to college and then graduated college and moved back to LA and then got a job in, in Westwood by UCLA's campus. And then realized that wasn't what I wanted to be doing and packed my Honda Civic up and drove through Hurricane Katrina back to Ohio again. Right, you can kind of just, you know, I had the same, you know, what I would call sort of undulations, roller coasters, you know, ups and downs as everybody has and just my versions of them. But the constant was that every single time something happened, the way it happened, E plus R equals O, it, it told the truth. There was no hiding from it, right? The circumstances were whatever the circumstances were. I was pursuing whatever I was pursuing and the quality of my responses to my circumstances determined what I actually achieved. Sometimes I achieved a thing only to realize I was pursuing the wrong thing, mm. right? When I graduated college and I went back to LA, I was teed up, you know, to, to kind of start this E plus R equals O for, for, you know, sports coaches and football in particular. I was all set up to do that. It was the whole plan. It was like, you know, it was like maybe a month before graduation. My friend in Los Angeles calls me and says, hey, I got an extra room. He's in Manhattan Beach. I mean, it is paradise, John. I mean, paradise. Right? And... I am, and he calls and he says, I got an extra room and, uh, uh you want to say hello? Okay. Go <laughs> quick. You gotta... hey, no, if you're in here, you got to say hi to John. Hello. Hey. <laughs> hey, what does E plus R equals O mean? Um, event, response, and outcome. Hey, Amen. <laughs> nice job. Maybe. Um, can I have dessert? No, oh, that's up. That's up. That's up to mom. That's up to mom. Shut the door, please. Thanks, bud. It's always hit and miss whether he's actually going to do it. <laughs> so my 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 friend says I have a room. It's paradise in Manhattan Beach. It's where I grew up, so I, I knew what it was. And he said, you know, come out and live here. Come live with me. You don't have to pay. You don't have to pay a dime. And I did. I put my mission and my purpose and my pursuit in a different bucket. And instead I chased the outcome, right? Of lifestyle, living on the beach, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with it, but I got out there and I, here's what I realized. And then I had to change my profession. I started work. And then I had the experience that a lot of people experience. I'm living in paradise. And I'm driving up the 405 in Los Angeles, an hour and 15 minutes for what is it actually a 22 minute drive. It takes me an hour and 15 minutes to get there. And I worked in an office. And for the first time in my life, I dreaded Mondays and I lived for the weekends. And I realized in, I don't know, two months, if that of working, that living in paradise, but hating what I did every day made no sense whatsoever. And so when I look back and I'm like, oh, you know, 
what was I doing? Well, it was because I looked at the outcome and I, I, I prioritized something that didn't deserve to be a priority. I prioritized lifestyle over purpose, not realizing that by, by pursuing and going after a purpose, that's how I create the lifestyle that feels what I want. So, you know, and I learned, you know, obviously all the little lessons about <clears throat> all the little lessons about, about, you know, how I respond in the weight room is the single biggest factor over whether I get stronger and whether or not I can go out and perform, you know, a little bit better out on the football field. If I did this, then this consequence happened. If I didn't do this, this consequence happened. I learned the lesson of, you know, a huge part of creating great outcomes is simply not doing the things that would get in my way. And so a lot of responses aren't about doing, but about not doing the things that, that, that would prevent outcomes that I wanted. And, and so, you know, and then obviously, you know, as I went through that, then I start teaching it. Now I start maturing in my own use. And it's the coolest part. And I know you've experienced this by teaching E plus R equals O, we become infinitely better users and of honoring E plus R equals O in how it works. And so my journey starts, started like everybody else's. Um, I started as an absolute rookie um, and frankly, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'll speak kindly about myself. Right. But like a 16 year old idiot, right. Like I just, I, it was, I was, there was nothing magical or special. Um, and even to this day, right. Like I, I can point to any day of my life in any week, um, with mistakes in E plus R equals O, what I think is a little different maybe about me now at 41 and a, a dad of two is, um, the honesty and awareness with which I look at E plus R equals O and don't feel a need to protect myself with a story of, oh, I was trying as best I could. You know what? Sometimes I just wasn't. And E plus R equals O is trying to tell me the truth that this outcome is here because you left some on the table with your response. You didn't, BK, put things in that you could have and a better outcome was possible, but you chose to you know, you chose to go a little quicker or you chose to, you know, cut this corner or whatever it is. And, and I don't judge myself for that, but I always let E plus R equals O speak the truth to me. And I always make sure that I keep my, my, not just my head, but my heart open to the truth of what E plus R equals O is sharing. Man, that's awesome. Let me ask you this. I was listening to the other day, I'm listening to the daily discipline, right? I mean, the daily discipline podcast, and you're going through 20 say behavior skills. And I don't know, it was one of the last two, three, four, five episodes, you made the statement. And I just thought, I don't know, it, it, it meant a lot to me. You made the statement that, look, I'm not perfect at all of these. Like I fail at these things too. And I have to work at them because I can, you know, like I can look at you and think like the fact that you can sit there and talk about discipline for six hours in a row, you know, like sometimes because I only scored an 18 on ACT, right? Sometimes, man, you're flying over my head. But then when I sit there and think like, you know, like you're not perfect, you still have to work at this stuff, you know? So my question is on the days that you find yourself, you know, struggling, like say, you know, adversity hits with the wife, with the kids, with the job, with friends, with, you know, like, what do you go to? Like, how do you, you know, how do you self-correct? How do you use the R factor to, you know, be aware of where you're at and maybe you're not 
performing or living up to your standards and try to get to that standard? Sure. So the first thing, and I, and I think this is, I work really hard at this and I, 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 I think John, this is one of the biggest things. <clears throat> this is one of the biggest things for everybody in particular coaches because coaches get coaches don't have a lot of people to talk to right they don't have a lot of people to and when i say talk i don't mean you know bs about the weather i don't mean talk about plays i don't talk about the at the sports bar i'm talking about coaches don't have a lot of people to reveal themselves to and with with you know i know how much you adore your wife and your wife you and with all due respect to the, to the quality and the health of that relationship, your wife isn't in that environment with you. And there's only so much that, that your partner can get that, that you can reveal to. So to your, to your question. So I, I just, I, I wanted that for coaches, like I, this matters for coaches because I, I think coaches are acutely susceptible to what I'm about to say. I don't judge myself. What happens is when people turn their self-awareness up, they turn self-judgment up along with it. Is they think looking at the truth and the honesty about themselves means becoming critical. You think about it, right? Like if, if we're going to have a, I mean, think about why might you hesitate to share the full self-aware truth with a sophomore or a senior, because you might be afraid he's gonna what? Get down on himself. You have a, and you've seen it happen. You not only have a natural intuitive sense of this because you it happens within us, but you also have, and you guess it's just natural for people, but you also have experience that giving somebody self-awareness, including yourself, tends to come with really heavy doses of self-judgment. The self-judgment undermines the self-awareness because it puts us in a state of pity or a state of apathy or a state of, of um, you know, depression and guilt. And it literally crushes our energy. So, and so what's the alternative? The alternative to avoiding that self-judgment for people is they avoid self-awareness entirely. They pretend or tell a story that lets them escape looking at themselves honestly. So here's how I think about this. Number one is I remind myself self-awareness without self-judgment. If I'm making poor choices or I'm having a bad day or I'm like out of my depth with something, which by the way happens, I acknowledge it, but I don't judge myself. And frankly, even if I'm doing something against, against what I know to be good and right, which again, is just part of the human condition. I don't judge myself. I first make sure is what I'm looking at honest and is it fair and is it accurate? And then from there I say, okay, great, that's what it is. And then I ask myself one simple question and it's simplicity is a thing. One simple question, is it in my power, now that I have awareness of this, is it in my power to do something about it that moves me in a better direction? And the answer to that is yes or it is no. And by the way, the answer is always yes. I might not be able to fix the situation, but I can definitely fix myself to a better version of me within a situation that I can't fix, right? 
So if I were to say, say, I'll play this out, right? So I'll give you two scenarios, one theoretical and one real in my life. If, if I were to make decisions that lost all of our money and through my choices of action, I kind of bankrupted our family. My first thing would be self-awareness. My choices brought us here. Not my wife's, not my kids, me, I did, okay? Really easy for a man who's a provider or anybody, man or woman, right? Who's a provider, sole provider, to judge themselves and feel awful about that, right? I may not be able to get all of our money back, but I can fix myself to still be a good, strong father, husband, you know, go get a job making sandwiches at Subway and we will be fine. We're gonna change our house. We're gonna live with different means and we're gonna build back up again. And you know what? It was my responsibility. It's my responsibility to get us in a good spot. My family is not served by me going into a deep, dark hole of pity. Okay. My family is served by me figuring out what I did wrong, where my mistakes were made, going back and doing better next time. Right. So that's one example of that. I just get no, there's no like judging myself. Plenty of people are going to judge me for that. No doubt. Plenty of people. I don't need to be that for me. I need to be something else, an honest version, but I need to be something else that gets me better. You know, the second one would be like real in my life is in 2020. Uh, you know, my dad was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer. And, you know, I mean, that was, you would talk about, you know, a gut punch. It was literally the week the whole country shut down. Like the first, the first week we like shut down, shut down like that hundred percent. He was diagnosed that week. Um, and there is not a damn thing I can, there is no response I can do to change that outcome. There's no response I can do to unwind that event. I can't go back in hit. I can't go back in the past. I can't, you know, he can't change that. There's nothing. And so here we are in a situation we can't change with an outcome we can't really affect, at least not from a cancer perspective, right? At stage four prostate, that's the unfortunate part. However, through the quality of our responses, we can, we can fix ourselves within a circumstance and an outcome we can't do much about. And fixing ourselves helps us produce what? Not getting rid of the cancer, but quality of life, quality of relationship, quality of experiences, maybe extending life a little bit because of how my dad's mindset is and the support that we provide. You know, maybe we get an extra three years because we just filled with love and energy and focus and enthusiasm and we didn't lay down and, and capitulate and give in to all of it. And I think it's one of the hard things for people to do I don't think it is. It's one of the hard things for people to do is when they want a singular outcome. And this is just, you know, unfortunately, we are dealing with, you know, sort of one of the more severe examples of this, but it's a good example. And it's a chance for us to, I don't know, put our money where our mouth is, right? Skin in the game is we get caught with one outcome in mind. And if we don't get that outcome, we are mad and the world is unfair. That ain't how it works, brother, Right. The outcome I want, the outcome my dad wants, the outcome my kids want is grandpa to be around for a long, long time. That's not really on the table for us anymore. If it is on the table, it, it, it's going to be, you know, serendipity. It's going to be a blessing. It's going to be a miracle. What's on the table for us are other outcomes. And those outcomes matter, even if the biggest outcome that we want isn't likely to happen the other outcomes still matter. And that's really hard for people to wrap their head around. 
And I want to share that story because, you know, one, I think it puts me for everybody listening, like, like, you know, I'm in the same boat you guys are in, right? I'm trying to figure out how to navigate. I'm trying to figure out when to talk to my kids about it. You know, like, when do you tell a six-year-old that? I don't know. Right. Like, what's the response? There's no the response to that, right? Like, I have to, like, figure it out in life. And, and so, you know, so many times this equation to people feels like, oh, if I just respond well, I'll get what I want. No, it, it, sometimes if you respond well, you're going to get what you want, but it has to be earned. It has to meet within the environment, but also the outcomes aren't in our control. You can respond really, really well and not get the outcome that you want. Um, other times the outcome that you want is just not really there. When I'm on a flight, like if I look at the opposite end of, of, you know, my dad having cancer. When I'm on a plane on a Friday night, Friday afternoon, flying back from a keynote somewhere, work with somebody, what I want is to be home at the scheduled time so I can have dinner with my family, put my kids to bed after being out of town for a couple of days. That's what I want. Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian caps can help protect that helmet investment. But man, if that plane is delayed, and it's pushed back and I land at 9 p.m. now, me wanting that outcome is irrelevant. It's, it, that, that's off the table. I'm not gonna be home in time for that. I could be mad, but what difference does it make? Like being mad doesn't give me the outcome. So now I don't have the outcome I want and I'm full of anger, right? So instead it's what? It, the, 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 the answer is, okay, the outcome I wanted was to be home here. Well, that outcome due to circumstances beyond my control is now off the table. Okay, well, what's the next outcome that is relevant, priority, and important? It's getting home safely, not getting to put my, my kids to bed, but guess what? Upside of not putting the kids to bed is I've got a little extra energy for my wife. We're gonna have you know a glass of wine or a bourbon. We're gonna sit down, we're gonna hang out, we're gonna talk. She's put the kids to bed by herself. I'm going to try to make her night and we're going to like enjoy ourselves. Another one, not putting my kids to bed makes the next morning even more exciting because now they didn't get to see dad before they went to sleep. And now when they wake up the next day and they come running into my room, it's daddy, 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 daddy. And so, yeah, I might've lost that night outcome, but I kind of gained a cool outcome in the morning. So I'm always thinking about not a singular E plus R equals O, but the continuum. And it scales from delayed flights to cancer and everywhere in between or down blocks and cover two and, you know, getting a collision on the number two receiver. I can, I'm always, I'm a safety. So I'm always going to be talking about linebackers. Please get your collisions on number twos. Right. You let those number two, we're, we got enough seven on seven going. If you miss your collision on number two, you're going to put me in a world of hurt. All right. So like get, you get hands on that guy, slow him down. Cause he's crafty. It's funny. We're watching um, 707 video today from yesterday. Yesterday was day one. And I tell the safety today, look, man, coach wasn't watching this side of the field. You just saw that number two guy run up the hash without being touched. Open your mouth and tell that outside linebacker to collision him, you know, like help us because we are still in the process. One of the hardest things to do is to move from a coach led team 
to a player-led team. Extremely hard. Yes. Okay. Now, let yes. me say this to the listeners. I think what all that he just said is why what he teaches needs to be heard by everybody. You know, like adversity is going to happen. You can't change that. Like you can't pick and choose the adversity that's going to come. But being able to become aware of it and not judge yourself and use, you know, the E plus R framework, because I shared this with our uh, players yesterday. One of the stats that we threw out, 47% of the people in the world struggle with some sort of stress, anxiety, depression, you know, something. All that's on the rise, okay? Well, I mean, to me, this framework gives you the answer to that. It allows you to be aware of where you're at and the circumstances that you are going through without being overly harsh to yourself because I still struggle with, I don't know that there's a better way to practice E plus R equals O than being a parent. I missed the parent manual when I was young. Like I didn't get it. I don't, man, and we have, you know, like, okay. And I tell me this, the first step of E plus R equals O is pause. And I've been pretty good at that. But like, honestly, sometimes I fail. Sometimes I respond without giving myself that moment to, you know, get clear, get my mind right. And I get so mad, you know, because I did fail. Okay. But what I took from that last session is I'm not going to judge myself from that. I'm going to give myself a pass and I'm going to try to be better the next time because me getting in an extreme funk because I just failed at E plus R equals O with a relationship with my kids isn't benefiting me for the future. You know, like what I need to do is learn from it, right? Not be overly harsh to myself. But I think for those of you listening, this is why you need to go to uh, tbriankite.com. You need to go to dailydiscipline.com. Like there's more stuff to learn to help you live a fuller, better life. As an example, after we learn this, we're honestly, me and Stephanie, I think, are at the USA Clinic the following year. You speak at it again. We come, we're coming back, and we had scheduled an early morning, uh, Monday morning flight. We we're going to get back in time for school. Like it was going to leave out at five or six. Time change. We were going to make it back in time for work. Well, we get an email and a text um, Sunday night at ten or eleven that the flight's been delayed till one o'clock. Well. I'm practicing E plus R equals O. Like I'm an active member. I'm practicing. My wife is catching it. She's not an active member. So her response was, oh my God, I don't need to take off tomorrow. I can't do, I can't miss tomorrow. I can't, eh, eh. And I'm like, I'm gonna tell you something. I don't think that they're gonna call you and ask you, is it okay if we, you know, like move the flight up? Like, is it okay if we don't have all the shutdowns? We don't, they're not going to ask you. Okay. So like, we're going to get on a flight at one o'clock. So like, what about, let's look at this. We don't have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. We can sleep in, we can take a walk. We can have a good breakfast, like, and we can enjoy a day off, you know, like it wasn't planned, but it is what it is. So like, to me, life-changing, right? Life-changing. Now, y'all can't see this and you're not going to, you know, it's a podcast, so you're not going to see the video, but Brian's wearing a shirt that says, doesn't matter, get better. Every parent meeting in Nixon, Missouri starts with DMGB. And I explain it to our parents this way. So if I'm wrong, don't tell me I'm wrong. Just make them think it's right, okay? But this is the way we start. 
if 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 you're not getting what you want out of life, if you're not getting what you want out of your relationship with your wife, if you're not getting what you want out of your son's position on our team, if you're not getting what you want out of your job, it's one of two things. Number one, you are not good enough. Number two, you are not trying hard enough. Either way, the answer is it doesn't matter, get better. So if you want to come talk to me about your son's playing time, I'm wide open. Just get ready. It's going to be one of those two. He's not trying hard enough or he's not good enough. And that's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, the objective is put your head down and go to work. So DMGB, to me, has transformed a ton of things. But let me ask you this. And this was my wife. My wife, I asked my wife, give me two questions that I can ask Brian. Because she's, you know, like three degrees of separation, right? Like she's a Brian Kite fan because I'm a Brian Kite fan. Like I don't know that she's actually ever tuned in other than when she's riding with me. But it's like she knows, right? Because it's been a huge deal in our life. Her f- first question was, has DMGB ever not worked? You know, like has there ever been a situation where it wasn't good enough. That answer wasn't good enough. No. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because whatever happens, I wake up the next day. Here's a question that I ask myself. Am I as good today as I will ever be in my life? It's black and white. It's yes or it's no. If it's no, then DMGB applies. If it's yes, then what's left for me? I'm as good today as I'll ever be, ever. No doubt. Right? Like, what does that mean for my kids then? For six and three? Like, you know, and by the way, if you want to say you're as good today as you'll ever be, well, then you're also acknowledging that, like, look, there's stuff I'm not that good at. A lot of stuff. Sure. Okay? A lot. It, there's no problem. with I have no problem. People, people have a problem emotionally with hearing you're not good enough. They have, no a, they have an emotional problem. Okay? And guess what? If you have a problem with it, that is your issue because that is a cold, hard reality. Hmm. Point blank. No doubt. Okay? I was at one of the, I was at a USA football clinic and 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 you know I came off the stage and a football coach asked me this question. And you know, we were at like, I think we we're having some beers in the bar. And he's like, man, you know, and this happens from time to time. It's a little bit awkward from a question perspective, but but he goes, Man, he's like, how do you maintain humility? Like, how do you how do you keep humility? Because again, I think people hear me talking about E plus R equals O and DMGB and they think. I don't know. They think I'm something that I'm not. Sure. Uh, so how do you maintain humility? I was like, how do I maintain humility? Well, let's go with this. I don't get paid as much as I would like to get paid to speak. How about that? <laughs> how about this? How about this? The greatest football coach on the planet right now, Nick Saban, doesn't have my phone number and never calls me. Like humility is not an issue. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like people that I think are, you know, 
not bad people, but clowns in this space have sold more books than I have. Humility, not an issue for me. Now, confidence, also not an issue for me, but humility, no problem. So for me, I've never encountered a situation where DMGB isn't the right answer and doesn't apply because when I have, when I sold, when I do keynotes for free and they just don't go that well, I wake up the next day and I have to decide. Is today the doesn't matter, get worse day? <laughs> right. When I sell a keynote and I do a keynote and it's the, and I sell it for at the, at the, at the event I've always wanted to do it at, at the highest price I've ever sold a keynote for, it's over in an hour. And then I take a breath after it's over and I got to figure out what the hell to do with the rest of my life. Right. Doesn't matter better. Uh, my dad got cancer. It doesn't matter, get better. And sadly, right. Sadly, I, I, you know, again, this is part of the honesty and like awareness part. Like there's going to be a day, whether it's cancer or otherwise, there's going to be a day where he passes and I wake up the next day. Right. And it's going to be sad and there's going to be grief and there's going to be all kinds of stuff, but guess what? I have a life that I am responsible for honoring and that my dad, my dad expects me to honor and do great things. And so it is, doesn't matter, get better. And I think what people struggle with is sort of the, the doesn't matter part, right? Right. It doesn't matter part. Doesn't, it doesn't, it's not saying that life doesn't have meaning and that what happened has no meaning. That's not like, don't read into it. That doesn't matter means this going forward. It's whether the win or the loss happened doesn't matter as to whether or not we need to improve going forward. Because, you know, I think in the football space, the people, the person, uh, the, the group, and therefore the person that, that, that embodies that doesn't matter, get better. The best is Alabama because, you know, Alabama football, they are, they are the doesn't matter, get better because no matter yeah. how many championships, they've won, how many five stars, their commitment to becoming a better football program and recruiting better and evolving and adjusting and nobody adjusts faster than Alabama football to the nature of the way football is played in the SEC and in college football and how to win. Nobody. And so the easiest thing to do when things aren't going well is stop getting better because we are pity. The easiest thing to do when we are super successful is cruise and coast and lacks on the discipline that got us there. DMGB keeps us nice and, and, and focused and, and tight and strong in the good way on whether you've just had the best day of your life or the worst. If you have air in your lungs and you're going to open your eyes the next morning, it's a get better day, right? And sometimes a get better day, right? If you're going through something really hard, sometimes a DMGB day is grieving. Right. Sometimes the DMGB day is, you know, that deep breath and just that like, all right, like I need to get equilibrium and peace and stillness for myself. Like that step, sometimes step one is getting out of the hole, right? That is getting better. Right? Um, other times it's all right, we need to take a step forward. But to answer the question, no, there is no scenario where DMGB. Now, what I will say, because this is a real story is I had a guy tell me one time that his wife interviewed for a job she really wanted and she didn't get it. And she came home and she said, I didn't get the job. And I looked at her and I said, doesn't matter, get better. And so I, I don't advise necessarily 
throwing it at people all the time. <laughs> but cultivating it in your own mind, yes, it's 100%. Hey, I tell you what, a funny story. I'm in Pearl and I, I have um, DMGB stickers. I have no BCD stickers and E plus R equals O stickers. And I have a, a mom and dad come in and they're mad about their son's playing time. And, you know, we've <laughs> a little while and mama's just going off, man. She's just, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and daddy's just sitting there. And so we get it all talked out. And I said, you know what? I said, I think, and I was being funny, but I was being serious. I said, you know, ma'am, you need one of these no BCD stickers. And I gave it to her and I told her what it meant. And she slapped it back on my desk. She said, I will not. Her husband grabbed it and put it back in her lap. And she, he said, you sure will. <laughs> Cause she needed the no BCD sticker. I got a couple things. I know time's getting iffy, but I got a couple things I got to ask you. I have in the last 12 months run across this thought. Okay. That I'm sure you're going to tell me is probably wrong, but the 10-80-10 principle, okay, 10% are deficient, 80% is the mountain of average, 10% is elite. I 100% believe in that. It doesn't matter to me if it's the local bank, if it's the local um, coaches in the state of Missouri, if it's like whatever. I believe that, right, and I sell it. But I've had this thought as it relates like to my football team. Let's say I have 100 kids, you know, like the 10% deficient. Yeah, I got them, and we're going to try to run them off. The mountain of average, no doubt, they're there. They're the 80 and the 10% elite, I have a bit of a, this is my question. Like, we do have 10% that are great, all right? Elite, great, eh. but there's a little percentage. There's one or two that are better than the great, okay? So, like, I made up my own 10, 80, 9, 1, because I have two kids that are, okay, I mean, I got, I got 10 that are great. But I got one or two that's a step above that. Like, you know, like, now coach me up. Like, is that okay? Is that, you know, do you find that, you know, like, I mean, I'm going to assume that, that, you know, stands to reason in a lot of businesses. You know, there was a local uh, bank here, one of our big ones. And the question is asked to the leadership committee. And it's a, you know, they say there's a hundred of them in there. It's a big bank. And, the question was, who in this room has read the book Atomic Habits? One hand went up. Well, that one hand was a woman that ended up being the first president, female president of the bank. Well, he, I mean, to me, she's different. You know, she just is. So is, is she in the 10% or is there another category? That's my question. Yeah. So, so you know, on the 10 to 10, you'll notice it's a bell curve. Right. And so what we're doing is talking about like kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're we're grouping to 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 be able to parse some things in our mind. But the bell curve has even in the 10 percent, it has a thicker and a thinner zone to it. Right. Yes. So the tail is the smaller. Right. Like the tail is as it goes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, so I equate it like this. I equate it like this. Right. Um, at, at any time, there's about. 2,500 active Navy SEALs um, in U.S. military, okay? Are all of those Navy SEALs, who are, by the way, in the 1% of Americans in terms of, you know, what they're capable of and what they're willing to do, okay? But but if we just take Navy SEALs on the spectrum, are they all equal? No. no, they're not. Are there some guys that qualify for Navy SEALs because they are tough and they are hard, 
but they're not that good of operators compared to other Navy SEALs. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Are Navy SEALs who are really, really good operators, but aren't good enough to qualify for SEAL Team 6 dev group. Right. Okay. Dev group is a complete separate upper echelon elite among the upper echelon elite. In dev group, which is like, I don't, I don't know exactly how big it is, but let's just say it's, I don't know, 200 guys. Are there separation within SEAL Team 6 of who are the 5 to 10 when the number is called and the nation needs you that are getting pulled into right the assignment and the mission when it's time to go get bin Laden? Are there 10, 20, whatever the number is within those 200 in, on SEAL Team 6? Right. Yes, there are. Sure. Okay? So, so there's always like a, a continuum uh, of that. And then number two is within that, I put, uh, um, I take, I take uh, the, the bell curve and I break it actually into four zones. Zone one is the upper 25%, like on a team, upper 25%, which is the guys you count on the most. Right. Zone two is that next 25%, right? It's the middle of the mountain of average, but on the top end of it and not quite in that, <laughs> in that greater elite category, but they're just like really good, really solid players, but maybe they need a little push or a rule or they need a coach around. They're not completely independently led. Your zone three are the guys that you're constantly having to look for that will do things out of compliance, but they, they won't really do it for a whole lot of other reasons. And then you have zone four, which is that back end, which is the defiant type of play. So I look at like even in those four zones in that, like if you're in say zone one, but you're like an early zone one person, you've just learned what it means to be great. And you're, you're, you're kind of independently doing things yourself for the first time, but you are not the pace setter. You are not the, you are not the hour early guy, right? You're, you're great. But there's a difference between a Tom Brady great, you know, and, uh, 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 you know, trying to think, you know, who else, right? There's a difference between a Tom Brady great and a Joe Flacco great. Sure. They both won Super Bowls, but Tom Brady's in a different group, right? Like he's, he's, he's in a category that's one of one, right? So, so I, I take those and like, so the zones help me understand themes, but within that, there's definitely deviation and a spectrum even within the zones. That makes yes. sense. Makes totally sense. Yeah. I mean, as the bell curve comes down, there if you put a hundred players on the curve, one through a hundred, yeah. there's gonna be a one, you know, like that is he's gonna be on that flight. Oh, this was the second question my wife wanted me to ask you. You made this, and I, I may not I may not get this hundred percent right, but we were in a uh vehicle and I think you had just came to Mississippi to speak to the coaches, and you made this statement that um did I know how lucky you were? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, you know, like my parents got divorced when I was really young, you know, and it was, it was um good for me or it was, I was fortunate or it was good, you know, like, okay. Like, cause I'm sitting there thinking like, this dude is a slap moron, right? Like no way my parents get divorced and I find something to be good about this. You know, like, am I, I did get that right. Right. And like, explain that. How do your parents, because there's going to be people sitting here. I'm going to have kids listen to this whose parents are divorced and they're thinking it's the worst thing in the world. You know what I'm saying? So like, how is that a good thing? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what is not is I, I wasn't saying it because I got two Christmases every year. And like I did, but like that, that wasn't the reason I was saying it. The, the reason I said, the reason I said it was good, because look, 
if I wanted to highlight the pain that I experienced as a kid and even after that, right? Like in high school and in college and after of divorce, not just with my parents, but you know, my siblings and I could highlight that. Like I could talk about the pain of that because um, it, it did have pain. Um, but you know what else is painful? Squatting and deadlifting and power cleaning. That's painful. My assault bike downstairs. That's painful. Okay. But is that the purpose of a squat? Is that, is that then is the net value of a squat and an assault bike pain in my life? No, that pain has a purpose. And so for me, with my parents, what I look at, and it doesn't eliminate the pain. It doesn't, it doesn't say that, oh, that pain doesn't exist or like, or, or, or disregard it. It simply looks at, for me, what was the net of my whole experience? And the net of my whole experience was I had two parents who didn't want to be married to each other, who are awesome people, who had their issues, but they both gave me love in a way a kid needed love. That's what I got. I got loved by my parents. And my mom loved me in a more uh, less structured secular, worldly, I'm going to teach you how life works way. My dad loved me in a more rules, standards, uh, um, um, uh, religious way. And they were complete polar opposite ends of the spectrum, which is why they didn't stay married. But I got love from both directions and they both contributed to me in that way. Had my parents stayed together, their conflict would have changed the love I experienced from them. No doubt. Because they weren't together. I got this like, like I got this love from them. Also, and I was talking to somebody else about this recently, and I use this as an example. I went through earlier in life and therefore learned earlier in life what people who are my age or older are still trying to work through now. I learned it early. I my, my pain, frankly, fortunately for me, happened during a window of my time where me experiencing the pain and reacting to it had lower stakes, right? When I was 12 dealing with this stuff and eight dealing with this stuff, it felt like the world, but I didn't have to make money. And I had to wake up and go to work despite all of that stuff. I had school and all that different stuff. But, you know, I watch people, you know, who are my age, my friends who are having marital issues, uh, life issues, and they have no model and they have no expectation. They, they've never seen any of the things that I grew up watching. They never watched any of those dynamics. Um, I'm a better father and a better husband today because of what I experienced then because I'm shaping and doing things so intentionally and so specifically. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was absolutely a net benefit for my life. And then, and then I, you know, look, I, I wouldn't be telling the full truth if I didn't say, um, I refuse to be a victim of anything that has ever happened to me. I refuse. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you treat me poorly or somebody else treats me poorly or your motives. And so 
My parents' divorce had nothing to do with me. I'm not a victim of that. I'm not a victim of that. I was a, I was a, a I was a factor post divorce, not a cause, and it wasn't about me. It never was. So I can't be a victim of something that wasn't done to me, right? Um, frankly, even if something was, I would refuse to be because that's not in charge of my life. I am. So I, I pain pain was there, and this goes back to the self awareness without self judgment, like. I allow myself to acknowledge that pain. And then I look and say, well, what did that do? Well, it shaped me. It molded me. It formed me. It, it put me into a good thing. And like all things, I believe success is born out of what hurts uh, and, and born out of more championship teams and excellent people were born out of the bottom of a deep, dark pit. No doubt. Than champions and successful people born out of, you know, wealth and opportunity and you know da, 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 da. so yeah my my parents being divorced was not a, a was not a, a great objective thing subjectively it it formed me into i think a ton of the great qualities that i have today that i that i'm very proud and admire within myself i can directly trace it to going through that experience those of you that are listening you can understand why you should dive into everything that he teaches because what's common in this world is to blame other people, to make excuses, to get extremely defensive, right? If somebody tries to help you, like that is, man, we live in a, I think, and I mean, I, I think we live in a world of victims, man. Like, you know, like they're not learning from, they're using it as an excuse, as a cop out, you know? But I think if you dive into learning this, as I think you can tell in this you know, hour that's went really fast is, you know, just learning these things can help trans, you know, transform your kids. It can give them a whole nother way of looking at it, right? You can be a victim of divorce or, you know, like as he just explained, you can be somebody that greatly benefited from it. You know, like the, the thought process that you choose means everything yesterday. And this is a, you know, this is, credit to you, you know, part of our training, like yesterday, man, we lift weights for 45, 50 minutes. We speed train for 30 and then we mental performance train. Like yesterday's lesson was brain science 101. How do, what's the difference mm -hmm. between brain and mind? How, you know, is a thought received? What option do we have with thought? All right. Do we have to believe all of them or can we train? You know, like that is a great example of, you know, something negative happens but you have the opportunity to reframe it in a way that's beneficial. And I don't, that's not taught in schools. You know, like that's not taught in English class. It's not taught in algebra class. It's not taught in science class. If we don't teach it on the athletic fields, our kids are not going to get it, you know, and that is something that we spend a great deal of time on. Let me ask you this, if, because we do, like we teach behavior skills, like we're trying hard to, if there's a problem on the football field, we create a lesson and teach it. Okay. Like, Kid has bad body language. Well, let's teach a lesson on body language. You know, a kid shows a lack of courage, you know, or what, you know, the top three or four behavior skills that if you were coaching the Knicks of Eagles that you would teach first, like what are the top three or four that you would hammer home that you think, you know, it's your team, you know, and you want them to represent you and you want them to you know, go out there and play their tails off, you know, like what are the three or four behavior skills that they need to master first? 
So I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you five, uh, but there's a relationship here. Um, so the first three are the core skills that drive every other skill in the world. Um, and these three core skills are self-awareness, self-discipline, and self-confidence. Right. And, and they're linked. So, you know, picture them in, picture them in, in a, in like a circular chain. Yep. Okay. Like, like they, 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 they fit together like puzzle pieces, self-awareness. So another way to say that is this, if whatever it is that you're going to do or, or, or try to become good at skill life or otherwise, you have to know yourself, you have to stay in control of yourself and you have to believe in yourself. You can't be a good running back. If you lack belief in yourself, you're going to run timid. And by the way, as a running back or a receiver or a quarterback, you don't have to be without self-confidence to struggle. You just have to have 20% missing to be what? A little too slow, yep. a little too, you think a little bit too much, a little too timid, and just what? 80% confidence is simply not good enough to perform and take you where you want to go sometimes in life. It might be good enough to be good at flag football. It's not good enough to win a division championship. Like that's just how it is. So the three things I'm going to teach people is how do you, how do you get to know yourself and have self-awareness without self-judgment? Obviously, you know, the discipline is going to be on this list. You must train to stay in control of yourself. You must, because we're always going to be imperfect at it. We've got to work really hard to be disciplined. And, and here's the key to this one, John, is you have to be independently disciplined, not obediently disciplined and not compliantly disciplined. If you're obediently disciplined, you only do things because the authority said to. Right. And that's, a. there's, a, by the way, there are some people who need that, okay? Nope. And a time, in, if you're compliantly disciplined, <clears throat> you're only disciplined because the rules say so. If the rules don't say so, you're not doing it. Independently disciplined is when you do it, whether or not there is a rule or an authority. And you're doing it because you're chasing something and there's a purpose and a reason and a mission behind it, right? If no one's looking, you're doing it anyway. It's not a character issue. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a discipline issue. And the last is uh, self-confidence. Uh, self you have to believe in yourself. Yeah, yeah. The opposite of confidence is doubt. And that's when you don't believe you're capable or going to get a good result. What people mistake, <laughs> the reason confidence is a skill to teach, not uh, and a, not something to achieve, is that people think confidence comes from reps and experience, and it doesn't. Confidence is just a belief. It's a belief about what's going to happen next. What am I capable of? Some of the most successful people in the world are crippled by self-doubt. If reps explain confidence and experience explain confidence, you've been coaching football for a long time, Okay. You ought to, if reps and experience were it, then self-doubt should be impossible for you to experience. Right. And we both know that's not true. Right. Because you are projecting into an unknown future just like I am. And if you project uncertainty and, ooh, we might not get it done, I don't know if this is going to happen, doubt shows up. So we've got to have confidence. So those are the three, self-awareness, self-confidence, uh, self-discipline, and self-confidence. And then the two skills that if I was only teaching, if I could only teach two on top of those, and I'm going to attach awareness, discipline, and confidence to two things. Number one is focus. And number two is energy. You could put time in there, but I'm just going to leave time off the list for, for, for now. It is 
it is in in and by the way this is only going to amplify going forward and if i if i was using you know i i i phrase this a little differently and more aggressively uh uh you know maybe when there's kids not listening right. just because of how i talk but look if you can't if you don't control your attention and your filter you're screwed it's over if you do not have the awareness discipline and competence to control your focus and what you put attention on and what you don't, it is over. Your life will run away from you because you will give your attention to things that do not matter and will fill your brain with things that absolutely undermine you and your life. It is the number one, first, most important thing, okay? And also the downside of the world that we live in right now, there's so many amazing upsides. The downside is a very real one. It is hard to decipher between what to pay attention to and what not to, what's telling the truth and what's not to. There's a mountain of BS in this world. And you got to find and focus on the 1% that matters. And you got to filter out the other 99% because you can waste your life, right? On BS. Number two is energy. I think the single most important skill in the world that is not regarded as a skill is the skill of creating your own energy. Energy can only come from two places, right? You catch it from the outside or you create it from the inside. And we can do both. And at times we do. However, here's the problem. Most people are energy catchers more than they're energy creators. And when you're an energy catcher, here's the problem. You're dependent on the energy around you to give you the energy you need to go where you want to go. And the energy around you does not really care about you. And it will always turn against you. No doubt. This is why, this is why in football, if you're an energy catching team, you're at the whim of the crowd and the momentum of the game and you are weak and you're fragile and you're exposed. Energy creating teams can be in a hostile environment. Things not going their way. <laughs> dead crowd and they say we know how to get the energy we need to play at the level we need to play at to win this game and compete the way we need to compete let's go if i'm in a room or on a flight or a delayed spot and everybody's angry around me if i'm an energy catcher i go with the crowd no doubt and and i'll press one thing on this every one of us finds ourselves in arenas where the crowd is moving in a direction and there is that part of our character, our integrity, our sense of good and right that says where this crowd is going and where the popular thing is moving, that's not the way to go. And if you're an energy catcher, you're going to let that crowd take you with it. Right. And by the way, whether you are 50 or 15, it's the same thing. And schools and businesses are full of grown adult professionals who have caught the energy of the professional world around them. And for fear of speaking up or whatever it is, they are moving with the energy to catch them. They're afraid. They keep their head down. I just wrote about this in Daily Discipline. And it's the same people telling kids to stand up for what's right. Those same adults, when given the opportunity, they're catching energy, not creating it. And so 
you know, not just sort of like, you know, lack of motivation or whatever it is, which is, which is a very real thing for people, right? Like if you're an energy creator, you create the energy to be disciplined, even when you don't have the motivation necessary. But on a bigger scale, man, we are, we, we find ourselves and we'll continue to find ourselves because the nature of humanity in scenarios where the energy isn't working for you and the thing you need to stand up for and show courage on and put a backbone on and give heart to is going to be unpopular. And man, you'd better be willing to create your own energy in those moments. Otherwise, you're going to meet a moment where you need to be courageous. And instead, you're going to be a coward. And I don't mean that judgmentally. I mean that in the clinical sense, right? Somebody who has an opportunity to do courage, but is simply too afraid to do what they know to do. Right. That's that's a cowardly act. It would be a cowardly act in me and a cowardly act in anybody else, right? We can call it lack of courage. And if you think cowardly is judgmental, then use a different term, but that's what that term means, okay? We're all gonna find ourselves in these moments. And what I want more than anything else for anybody is whatever you care about and what you find to be integrity and what you find to be good and right in this world is that you have created the energy to act with courage when that moment comes to your doorstep and it's going to come to your doorstep over and over and over and over again. I, it's not about the topic, whatever your topic is, whatever you care about, whatever your thing is. What I want is you to have the courage and energy to stand up for what you believe is right and good in this world. Because we need more people who are willing to do that and we need less catchers of energy and more creators of energy. And until we get that, right, this popular crowd of Mountain of Average is going to run the show for a while. Man, absolutely awesome. This sounds like a, a Brian Kite Twitter question, okay? So forgive me for asking this. Like, you made me better today. Like, you made Nixa better because those, those skills, those core values, those are absolutely awesome. Is focus with young kids more of an issue today than it was 30 years ago. Yes, but not because of the kids, because of the environment. My, and my thought was social media technology has made us, I call it monkey mind. Like, you know, one of the stats yesterday that we threw out is the average human hold, holds a thought for three seconds and they're on to something else, you know, like, and I find that like we're running a drill with the running backs um, a while back. And, you know, I asked them to touch the line in front of the cone. Do not touch the cone. Touch the line. So we go through and we knock over three cones. And I'm like, OK, like you weren't listening, you know, so let's let's concentrate for a second. Let's touch the line and not the cone. We go back through it. We knock over more cones, you know, and I'm just like, there's no way. They were listening, concentrating, and focusing on what was being said because they continued to do what was – and I just – that was my, you know, like, focus. Is focus more of an issue today because of social media? And or there's – I mean, let me, I'm, not a I'm not a scientist, so I, I, I can't speak to this. I mean, you know, what we know is that humans interact with their environment and things get wired and patterned. Um, what we also know is that, you know, human beings haven't evolved – in the last 40 years. So kids today aren't different than kids back in the day. Culture norms are different. Uh, um, expectations are different. Availability to stuff is different. 
Here's something really interesting though, right? I, 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 so I'm 41. How old are you? Um, 52. 52. Okay. So here's what's crazy, right? And then what? How old your youngest kid? Uh, 18. Okay. You ready for this? Your youngest kid at 18 years old has processed more media than you processed by the time you were 40. No doubt. Okay. So your 18 year old who has infinitely less, what I would call real life reps and responsibilities equivalent to what you would have at 52 or at 40 has basically condensed more media into her 18 years than you had in the expanse of 40 years with a lot more. So like we need to empathize. We didn't grow up the same, right? We just didn't. Okay. Second thing is this, when books, so so if we go back, you know, you can go back 100-ish years. Yeah, about 100-ish years, maybe maybe 100, somewhere in the last 100, 150 years. Um, kids didn't have access. Uh, young kids, you maybe maybe you have to go back a little further, maybe 200. They didn't, the kids didn't have access to books. Books were, books were limited to the people who were teaching them, okay? When kids started getting access to books, guess what they started doing? Reading them. Right. Guess guess how much they started to read them. Like certain kids, a lot of kids, a ton. They became what infatuated with the books. Guess what the adults said about those kids who went and buried themselves in the books at the time? Distraction. Buried your nose in a book. You need to be outside. Da, 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 da. They criticize kids for what their lack of attention span in their duties and all kinds of other stuff because they were too busy with books. Fast forward. Radio comes on. What was radio doing? Oh my gosh, these kids, they need to be in books with the radio, right? And then now all of a sudden, books went from being the pariah to being the solution. And then fast forward, the next thing you know, it was what? These kids just want to watch the TV. They, didn't, can't, they can't even sit down and listen to a radio anymore. So the point is, every single time, sort of the new thing that younger people are putting their attention on comes up. There's somebody who's older saying that's wrong because it wasn't what they grew up with. So yes, we got to watch and be smart and pay attention and be well-rounded and do all kinds of different stuff. At the same time, please study the context of history, everybody. Watch what we've done and said to Plato, Plato, right? 3,000 years ago said that kids danced too much, played too many jokes, and didn't respect their authorities. All they wanted to do was mess around. And they, they, that literally Plato said the world was doomed because of the kids of his era. It turns out we've made a lot of good stuff since then. So, so let's be smart, let's be sharp, let's get on it. Let's also put this in the context of history and that if, if we find ourselves saying the same thing they said 150 years ago about books, about this today, we can pretty reliably say it's a matter of discretion and management and judgment with it, not the thing, like all things, right? You know, if you if you became sedentary reading books 200 years ago and your life withered away, then yes, that wasn't a good move for you, probably, right? But that wasn't what happened to most people. They read their books and they went and lived their lives. They read their books and went and lived their lives. Same thing with kids today. Like, yeah, it's a lot and we want to have like good, but what? Build a good relationship with it. The thing isn't bad. Our relationship with it can get out of alignment though.
but that's as equally applicable for me as it is for the 60 year old. No doubt. So, so my point, my point perspective matters and, you know, focus is focus, right? I mean, where your attention goes was different, but it's the same. Now, what I do hold is my, probably one of my biggest regrets with my kids. And this would still have been true a hundred years ago or whenever, you know, when you change is not monitoring and not monitoring or guarding what they were watching, seeing, and what was going in. Like that is my biggest regret as a parent. You know, like I I didn't understand the influence from those sources. Now that could have been, you know, like I would have felt bad a hundred years ago because I didn't monitor the books or I didn't, you know, like that is a regret because that influence is huge on our kids, you know, and that's, I wish, you know, you can't rewind time, but if I did, I would change that part about me. So I would say those with young kids, man, like, you know, watch what they're watching, you know, watch what they're listening to, because I just recently learned and I'm slow. I just recently learned that if I, you know, click on something on Twitter, then I get more of that on Twitter. So if I was clicking on bad things, then I'm getting bad things. You know, if I'm so I don't, you know, like if I'd had a phone when I was 14 years old, oh my God. Like, I don't know what I would have clicked on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can remember running across, I can remember running across a, a magazine that I wasn't supposed to run across and thinking this is the greatest thing in the world. You know, I can't imagine, you know, so monitoring what our kids are watching. That is um, a, a regret. All right, Brian, I'm going to ask you this. This is the last thing I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to let you go, man. I have, I'm so thankful. I'm so appreciative. Um, if, you know, like for folks to learn more, tell me where they go. Do you still have the virtual classes that they can take? Is that still on your website? So we're, uh, the short answer is no, not right now, but we are getting ready to launch um, a new uh, um, digital content and a new digital community. So we're getting ready to launch those. Um, and you'll be able to find that at tbriankite.com, which is sort of the, my primary site where I, where I, where I uh, put the services that I do. And then dailydiscipline.com. And we're, we're about to launch a, a whole new sort of suite of, of um, tools and content we're doing in there. Right now, dailydiscipline.com is the, the daily newsletter that I send out that's free and will always be free. That comes into your inbox, um, you know, once a day with one brief, simple thought. Um, you know, and my vision and, and my goal with that is to make it word for word the most potent newsletter on personal development on the planet. Like that, that's what I try to do with it. I try to extract more potent value out of each sentence than any place else because I want to impact and add value, not consume time. So I want it to be a 30-second read that you think about for the next 30 years of your life. That's what I try to do with it. I'm going to tell you what, and I, you know, anybody that's listening, man, go to his website, right. And, you know, sign up for the daily discipline, man. It is absolutely awesome. It shows up every single day. And sometimes it is things that will make you think for a long time, you know, because sometimes they're pretty deep, man. And if you're an 18 ACT guy like me, man, sometimes you got to like find somebody to break it down for you because it is, it is a challenge, but you know, the, the stuff to come will be great too. the virtual courses that I took, man, like they were just awesome, you know, like, and I've, you know, I took many a notes I've got on my computer right now. I have two virtual courses typed up, you know, just so that I could continue to learn because it's a life skill. It is 
you know, the relationship with my life, my wife, with, you know, my relationship with our coaches, with our players, like, you know, all of this stuff makes me want to be a better human. So, you know, it is something that I'm fired up about, man. And I hope you all um, will go to his stuff, find it, man, and jump in because it will change your life. It is life changing stuff. I'm so appreciative of you joining me, man. Like I was kind of freaked out. Like, is he going to do it? Is he not? You know, like, so I would appreciate it if you would like text me your uh, mailing address. I would like to send you a happy for doing this. Cause man, it's super fun. And you're going to help other people, man. Like, I don't know if one person or 500 or a thousand, whoever listens, they're going to get better today because of you. So I'm very thankful. I, I appreciate you having me on. I'm a CEO. My, my, uh, you know, the mission here is what matters. And, and um, you know, to be able to come on here and, and chop it up with you and, and talk about these things that, that matter, um, it's hardly work. So uh, I enjoy being here.